I believe that today, more than perhaps any other Easter in recent history, the message of the resurrection is so, it's so relevant. It's so vital that it's true. And as we read that great account earlier of the resurrection from the 24th chapter of Luke, as we look at the story, to just think that this, this truly did happen. And, and the reason why I said it's so relevant today, of course, is because of the moment that we find ourselves in in history. You know, as I was driving here this morning in the dark, uh, up and down the road, there are, um, there are signs uh, that are lit up, and those signs are talking to us about COVID-19. And there are signs that are saying, um, you know, social distance, uh, be safe, hope you're well. And, and it, in some ways, it, it's all so surreal. And I, I've been thinking that this Easter is so extraordinary in, in that there, there's never been another Easter in, in my lifetime or I would say in the lifetime of probably most people living today, where the, the reality of death was so prevalent that it, it highlights the message of the resurrection. I think today we have reached 1.7 million cases of the coronavirus worldwide. And with the, um, the 1.7 million cases, we have um, 108,000 deaths. But thankfully, we also have over 400,000 recoveries. But, but nevertheless, as we, as we wake up each day and we think about just the, the first thing that is probably uh, comes to us, at least if we're, you know, if we're turning on the TV or if we're scrolling our, our Twitter feed or whatever it is, the first thing that's coming to us is, is this news of the death toll. And, and so this is a time where in our very presence, uh, as I said, death is uh, prevalent. And, and that's why the message of the resurrection of Jesus is so incredibly uh, important today. And I've, I've thought about how over the years uh, preaching on Easter Sundays over the years, and of course, the message of Easter is always the same. It's the resurrection of Jesus. But I thought of how often on an Easter Sunday as a preacher, and I know this is true of other preachers as well, uh, we were all at pains to try to convince people of the the significance of the resurrection because of the inevitability of death. But most of the time, for most people, death just seems like, it, well, it's a distant thing and I'm sure it's gonna happen, but I'm not really gonna think about it. Uh, maybe, maybe a person's young and they go, well, that doesn't really have much to do with me. Uh, but you see, it's at a moment like this that all of a sudden everything changes because the, the, the thing about this virus that's so unusual is, is just who it attacks and, and the different um, 
effects that it has upon people. As you know, some people uh, have no symptoms. Uh, some people, their symptoms are, are very mild. Some people, it kills them and it kills them quickly. So when we think about that reality, when, when death is brought before us like it's never been brought uh, in our lifetimes, uh, we thank God that we have a living hope and that's what we have. And uh, the apostle Peter, I think about, he wrote these words. He said, blessed be uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection from the dead. And that song we sang just a moment ago, that is, that's echoing that very thing. But the account that we considered today in Luke's gospel. Of course, Matthew has an account of the resurrection. Mark has an account of the resurrection. John has an account of the resurrection. And our reading today came from Luke's account. And I want to just touch on a few things there um, in the account that we read. And I want to start with the fact that, of course, Jesus had died and he had been placed rather hastily in a tomb because the, the Sabbath day was dawning. And um, for, because the Sabbath was coming, because it was a high Sabbath, because it was the Passover in Israel, uh, they wanted to get the bodies off of the cross as soon as they could. And so Jesus was taken from the cross and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And although they had tended to his body a bit, they were wanting to tend to it a little more. Um, and so when we read the account there in Luke 24, we pick up with these women coming very early in the morning before the sun rises, or, or actually right at sunrise. They're coming and they're wanting to tend one final time to the body of Jesus. And they're asking themselves the question, who is gonna roll away the stone? You see, in those days, you would be, uh, you would be buried perhaps in a cave. Um, some people, if you were wealthy, you would actually be able to have um, a tomb that was carved out of the stone. And there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea who was a wealthy man who had a tomb uh, that was carved out of the stone and they had put the body of Jesus. Joseph was a follower secretly of Jesus. And so he allowed for the body of Jesus to be buried there. And there was a massive stone that was rolled across the front of the tomb. And so the question that the women had is, how are we going to move this stone? But when they arrived, to their surprise, the stone had already been rolled away. And, and Luke tells us as they go in, they're greeted by two men. And it says in shining garments. And the, the picture is these two men are... Uh, heavenly messengers, they're angels. And they asked them this classic question. They asked them this. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then they said, don't you remember what he told you? And so the tomb was empty. And, and this is the first point that I want to make because I want to dispel uh, the, the idea that, that somehow this is mythology, that somehow this is legend, that these things didn't really happen. But you see, if you just read the accounts, um, they're, they're very 
believable. Of course, there's supernatural things. There's miraculous things. But, but they read very genuinely. And they tell us the dilemma of the women. How are we going to move the stone? But then the stone is moved. And the fact that the tomb is empty, this is so amazingly significant because um, Jesus, when he was put in that tomb, because of the fear of the religious leaders, they're the ones who actually had him put to death, because of the fear that they had that something might happen like they didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead, even though he said he was. They thought, well, somebody's going to come and steal his body. Something's going to happen, and it's going to make our problem even worse. So they, they had gone to the governor, and they asked him, they said, they said this, this man, this deceiver, they called him a deceiver. They said, he said he's going to rise from the dead. He said, they said, would you give us a guard so we could seal the tomb and make sure that somebody doesn't come and tamper with it or, you know, his disciples come and steal the body. And so the governor gave them permission. He said, you have a guard. Go make it as secure as you can. It's almost like he knew that uh, this was a futile uh, attempt. But anyway, here's a tomb. The tomb has a massive stone rolled in front of it. And not only that, but this tomb is sealed with a Roman seal and it's guarded by a Roman guard. Now, how did that tomb get opened and... How is it that the body of Jesus was not there? Well, there's no, there's no human explanation for it. Uh, later, the religious leaders bribed the soldiers and said, just tell people that, that somebody came and stole them by night while you were sleeping. But you see, if a Roman guard was caught sleeping, they would be put to death. And the Romans uh, were a formidable force. Obviously, they conquered the world. They, they bludgeoned the world into submission. So no band of ragtag followers is going to come and overthrow a Roman guard and break that Roman seal and open that tomb and steal that body. None of that makes sense. That, that all is more, um, to me, that, that's more unbelievable than the miracle itself. And so we have the miracle of the empty tomb. But then we also have the eyewitness encounters with Jesus. And, and it's amazing. And what I like about Luke's gospel and the reason that I wanted to uh, read Luke's gospel this morning is, it, is because it, um, it tells us about these, these now encounters that people began to have with Jesus. And there's these two men, as the story goes, and they're, they're walking along. This is a few days, of course, after the crucifixion. And they're walking along and they're discussing with one another uh, the, the tragic events that have happened. And uh, it, it even implies that they were disputing with each other. And they, they had thought, and they even confessed it, we, we thought that this man, Jesus, was going to be the one to deliver Israel. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the Savior. They thought that, past tense. But what happened? Well, he had been taken and he had been executed and he had died and he was placed in a tomb. But this man comes and joins them, walks alongside them and says, so what's this conversation you're having? What are you talking about? Why are you so upset? And they said to him, they said, are you the only stranger in Jer Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happened over these days? And he says, no, tell me what's happened. And so they went on to tell him about Jesus of Nazareth, how he's a prophet, mighty in word and deed and, and all, you know, everything that happened. Well, it was Jesus that 
was asking them the questions. He had come alongside of them. And as they were expressing their, their sadness and as they were now expressing their, well, their disappointment because they thought he was the Messiah, but he's been put to death. And, and then they said this, they said, and then there's these, uh, these women, they went to the tomb and they, they said that he was risen. And so they, they didn't know what to think. And then Jesus said this to them. And this to me is one of the most classic things. He says this to them, and it's recorded in Luke uh, 24, 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh my. And so they're walking down the road and Jesus is explaining to them how the, the prophets and Moses had said that the Messiah would suffer as, and that would be the means through which he would enter into glory. So as they're walking along, they come to their destination and Jesus, he appears to just going to be continuing on down the road. And they said, oh, no, don't, don't go. Just, just stay with us. It's late. Come in and, and let's have a meal together. And so Jesus went in to the house with them. And it says that they sat down. And then it says that he broke bread. He took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. And it says that suddenly their eyes were opened and they realized that it was the Lord and he vanished from their presence. Wow. He vanished from their presence. But he, he broke the bread and perhaps it was when he lifted his hands to break the bread or to bless the, the breaking of the bread, uh, perhaps they saw the wounds in his hands. It's probably um, what actually happened. And, and then they realized, they realized it was Jesus. And then they said to one another, they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? And so Jesus then um, later would appear to the other disciples. And of course, these men, they come, they tell the story. It all, it, it all sounds way too good to be true. It actually says that then they, they were, they doubted. Why did they doubt? Because they thought this is too good to be true. He's alive. And, and so it says, then Jesus suddenly appeared in their midst, just as he vanished there at the table. Now he suddenly appears in their midst. And it says in verse 37, and they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet. Of course, that's where the nails were driven. That it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then it says in verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? 
And so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Again, this is, it's just so, it's so real. They're, they're just telling the story. This is what happened. If, if, if this story didn't happen, if this was made up, so let's just say like some people have said, well, these guys, they actually just made the story of the resurrection up. Now, if you're going to make up the story of a resurrection, you're, you're going to make sure that you've got the best, uh, the, the, the best arguments to, to support the story that you're trying to put out there. So in other words, if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to put any bits in it that are going to give anybody any reason to doubt that the story is true. So here's the amazing thing about these, these uh, gospel accounts of the resurrection of Christ. They have all kinds of things in them that you would never put if you were making up a story and trying to convince people that it was true. They, for one, they have women who are the first ones to announce the resurrection. You see, in that culture, a woman's testimony was uh, insignificant. Uh, a woman's testimony really meant, meant nothing. And so if you wanted to say, hey, here are the witnesses, you wouldn't say it was a group of women. That would just, you'd shoot yourself in the foot right from the beginning. And neither would you say that there were doubts and, and people were wondering like, well, wait, this can't really be happening. You wouldn't say that. You would, you would present your case with uh, confident people who knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that, well, absolutely this took place. But you see, my point is that it's all very real. It's all very human. And then, of course, um, you have Jesus himself. You have these eyewitnesses, and then you have the testimony of Jesus himself. And what Jesus does, as we just saw, when he, he said that to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow to believe in all that the prophets have written, Jesus then again would take them to another passage of Scripture. Jesus was connecting what happened with what had been predicted by the prophets. You see, because what happened wasn't something that just randomly happened out of the blue. It was something that was... Uh, prophesied would happen for literally thousands of years. But one other thing, the, um, the fact that they record that Jesus um, asked for something to eat and they gave him broiled fish and it says they ate, he ate it there in their presence. Why, why would you put something like that? Well, again, it's just telling the, the story honestly. This is how it happened. I would imagine if you're trying to make up some fantastical story about some person who raised from the dead, you wouldn't mention something like that. But if it really happened, well, this is what happened. But why did it get mentioned? Why did God allow it to be mentioned? Because God wants us to know, and Jesus wanted them to know, as he said, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see as you see that I have. And then... He took the, the fish and he ate it in their presence so they could know that they know that they know that he was a, he was a, a, per, he was a real person. He was a, a living human being. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. He ate just like they ate. And so all of these things, and then again, one final thing with Jesus pointing to 
the scriptures once again. And so in verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. He points them back once again to scripture. You see, the entire life of Jesus was a fulfillment of scripture from his birth in Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary and now to the resurrection and the empty tomb. Now, as we finish up today, you know, a few weeks ago, um, a friend of mine, he, he uh, suggested to his congregation that people would take a couple of minutes and they would do a video of themselves uh, telling the story of how Jesus changed their life. And then they would post it on their social media um, feed. And I did that. I thought, you know, this is a, a, a great idea. And, and I wanted to do that. And I took a couple of minutes and I just shared really quickly how Jesus changed my life. And you see, that's, that's another thing that is in so many ways, it's an, it's an irrefutable argument against the, the reality um, or, or in support of the reality that Christ rose from the dead. It's the transformed lives of millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people. And that is what happened to me. So really quickly, I told my story. My story was that um, in my early 20s, I was just right into my 20s. I was basically doing okay. I had a good job. I made good money. I had lots of friends. I, um, I was, I was um, you know, um, surfing by day and I was partying at night and I was into music. And, you know, things were going, for, at least outwardly, things were going quite well for me. Nobody looked at me and thought, man, Brian's life's so messed up. He's got to, he's really needs some help. I, I, I seemed like I was doing pretty good. Seemed like is the, is the operative word here. I seemed like I was doing good, but inwardly I was empty. And I, I, there was just this sense that there must be something, that there must be something more to life than what I am experiencing. There must be some deeper meaning to life. And this was a nagging thing. And I would, I would, I would get involved in a lot of different things thinking that, well, you know, when I do this and accomplish this, then I'm going to have that fulfillment. Then that, that sense of emptiness is going to, it's going to go away. But you know, it never did. Regardless of what I did, um, what I achieved or the people I connected with or uh, the girl I dated, uh, it, it all left me with that same sense of just a, a deep, deep emptiness. And, and this led me to a point of thinking, maybe, maybe there's a God and maybe that's the answer. And so, you know, I actually, we had a Bible at our home. We had a big family Bible sitting on a coffee table and I just began to read it. And as I began to read it, I began to see the, the, the greatness of this person, Jesus. And I was absolutely amazed at, at Jesus and who he was. And I didn't really realize at the time um, exactly who he was. I didn't realize that he was God who had become a man 
to save us all from our sins. But that is who I discovered him to be. And so through a process of events, I realized that I needed Jesus. I knew I was a sinner. And I knew that I, I needed God in my life. And so at a certain point, I just, I surrendered my life to God. I just said, Jesus, take my life and do with my life what you intended when you created me. And you know, he did. And that's been over 40 years ago now. It's hard to believe. But I, I'll tell you this, and I'll, I'll finish with this, that I have zero regrets. It was the greatest decision I ever made. And, and actually, the only regret I have is that I didn't do it sooner than I did it. And so here we are this morning, this beautiful Easter morning, this morning where we are remembering the greatest event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I said, oh, how relevant it is right now because of the, of the prevailing mood of death that's all around us. But this is why Jesus came. He came to destroy death. And that's what he did by rising again from the dead. And then he said this, and I'm going to close with this in that, in that last part I was reading. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all of the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance and remission of sins. That's how we come in to this relationship. This is how we come to know the living Christ. This is how we receive eternal life by repentance that leads to the remission of sins. Remission of sins means the forgiving of sins. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to turn. That's really the meaning of the word. And, and what we're talking about here, what I did, what millions of others have done, is there was a point in my life where I was, at my life's course was going away from God. The Bible says that's the, the situation with every human being. All we like sheep have gone astray. My life's course was going away from God. To repent meant I turned to God. I turned to God by believing in Jesus. And that's what Jesus said. As we repent, as we turn to him, those are the geese that you're hearing right now <laughs> flying overhead. As we as we turn to him, as we turn away from that, that journey um, that, that's leading us further and further away from him, and as we turn to him in faith, that's how our sins are forgiven. And when our sins are forgiven, we are brought into a relationship with the God who made us, and we're given the gift of eternal life. And so death has lost its sting. That doesn't mean that we won't die physically, but what it does mean is that that's not the end. It means that although Jesus is going to one day completely even do away with, with physical death, but for the time being, it means that when we die, we go on living in the presence of the Lord. And so today, I just want to invite you to have your life changed by Jesus Christ. I want you to receive the living hope. And so that as uh, death looms over us as a, as a world that you don't have to live in fear of that. But you can know that death has been conquered. And if you want to do that today, you want to receive Christ, 
just say to Jesus right now, just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. I'm turning um, from my life that's, that's going in the opposite direction away from you, and I'm turning to you. And as you do that sincerely in your heart, Christ, the living Christ, will meet you, and he will give you eternal life, and he will change you now and make your life all that he intended it to be. And so I'd like to pray. Lord, I pray that you would bless all of those that have heard your word today. And I pray that your eternal life would be imparted to those who are calling upon you. And Lord, thank you that you rose from the dead, that this is not a myth, this is not a legend, that this is, this is fact, this is reality. And may the reality of your living presence uh, pervade each and every life that hears this message today, I pray. And we thank you that you did indeed come into this world, that you really died, that you died uh, a criminal's death. But Lord, that three days later, you broke the chains of death and you rose up and that stone was removed and you appeared to your followers. And Lord, you ascended into heaven with a promise that you would come back again. And so we await that day and we thank you for these truths. Amen.